Good morning. So, uh, can I ask for a little audience participation here? Wake up. So, I want to ask a question, or, yeah, a question, and it will, it will relate. So, this isn't, this isn't, this part um, isn't really part of the message. We're going to have a, in a minute, we're going to have a break, and then we'll have the mess. I mean, not a break, you don't get to go out and come in, but, but this is sort of a different part. So, I want to ask, uh, how many of you came to Bridges, this church, through, somebody invited you? Show of hand, somebody invited you. Good. How many, like, came because they saw it on the website? They, they searched the website and they said, this is, this just website just looks awesome. Thanks, Lisa. <laughs> there she is. Uh, there was one other way I was going to ask. What, uh, what other ways? Drive-by, how many, how many just came by, this is the church in their neighborhood, uh, and you thought you'd give it a try? All right, that's, that's a no. All right, so I want to tell you, any other ways that you came that might be interesting that you could say in three words? Yes. Oh, yeah. So she rented a building for her homeschool group, right? So they come on Wednesday. Uh, Bobby came because... She founded the thing. She's the founding. She's the founder, Bobby. Uh, some uh, I know some others came. I don't know how many. I know Tom and Denise came because another church sort of joined with us, and so that church came. I know when Brian came, some people came from the Groves. Anybody here came when Brian Park came? Okay, so yeah. So I just want to tell you how I came because that's really the main thing here, right? <laughs> so uh, I've been here 35 years. You thought I was only 34 years old, so how did I do that? No. So when I was in uh, college, I was part of a group called Camps Crusade for Christ. And I was attending another church in town. Uh, it's, it's, it's Harvest. It was Calvary Chapel at the time. And I had been going there since I was 13, since my parents moved to Riverside, since they became Christians. I became a Christian when I was 13. So now I'm 18, and one of the guys from Camps Crusade uh, said, you know what, uh, you need to be discipled. And, and I think that your discipleship should be tied to, should be part of the church you're going to. It should be, uh, you know, connected. And so I said, okay. He says, I think you should go uh, and ask your church if they could have somebody to disciple you. And so I went and I made an appointment with one of the pastors and met in his office and said, hey, can somebody disciple me? And he said, he said, wow, that's, nobody's ever come and asked to be discipled before, which I thought was interesting, but still. But, uh, so he said, I'll check into that. I'll see if I can find somebody with time and who can disciple you. And so uh, two weeks later, they called back and they had somebody. But within that two weeks, I decided, I'm just going to go to the same church that this guy who said he would disciple me on Camp's Crusade staff uh, was going to. So if I go to his church, then he can disciple me. And that was this church. That was Bible Fellowship of Riverside. And I've been here uh, 35 years on, you know, been on the mission field and seminary and stuff, but this has been my church. And I came here because somebody said, hey, you need to be discipled. And so that's leading into really an announcement, (laughs) an announcement in your bulletin. Tom didn't cover it, and I want to cover it, and I want to encourage 
everyone here, because everyone here needs to be discipled. Now, we receive discipleship, like uh, this guy at the other church I was going to, well, we just kind of hang out, and people are part of small groups, and that's great, and they go to church, and they hear sermons, and that's sort of discipleship. But, but what I found is sometimes, in fact, most of the time, for me, the, the key to my growing in Christ was that, that, that one person that was willing to pour into me, uh, that discipleship. And so that doesn't happen a lot of times in churches. And so what we've decided to do is be purposeful about discipleship. And we've decided to start in our small groups. We want to be a church where people come, and if you decide this is your church, we want to say to you, you need to be discipled. And so we're going to start that process through our small groups, through all of us sort of together, all of us, all of us, I'm not stuttering. All of us sort of going through this. There's a lot of discipleship material. And what discipleship is at the beginning is sort of this. uh, We start off with learning the foundation, some of the foundations of Christianity. Because if if you come to church every Sunday for years, I had gone for eight years. I had a lot of ideas and a lot of thoughts and good ones. I think I had been discipled in part, but there needed to be sort of this systematic showing drawing those truths together, filling in some gaps that I had in my thinking. And so what we're going to do in our home group starting in September, the week of September 10th, so the groups start different days, so the Sunday is September 10th, is we are going to, in our small groups, go through some discipleship curriculum. We've chosen a book. It's called Discipleship Essentials, and it's actually 25 chapters, 25 different topics. It, it goes from uh, making disciples, being disciples, how to have a quiet time, how to pray, how to worship, some basics, then to understanding the Trinity, understanding sin, understanding grace, understanding justification. So each chapter sort of breaks down, and so it's more of a, uh, if, if, I, if I can say, a systematic approach to understanding the concepts of the Christian faith. And so our goal is that we would all sort of get on the same page, get that basic discipleship, and then as new people come, or even people that are here that want more discipleship, then we together can say, okay, uh, okay, we've went through this discipleship uh, material together, now, now let's disciple, let's uh, meet with people, let's talk to them, let's help one another grow in Christ. Does that, does that make sense? So I would encourage you, uh, out, there's a table on the way out. If you're in a small group now, each of the small groups that we've had, that we have, uh, is going to be going through this, so you're good. Just, I would ask you to just sign up again, even if you're in a small group. If you're in the, the, the Reese's have a small group, the Asphalks and the Lees have a small group, the Hirotos have a small group. Uh, and if you're in those small groups, they'll be going through this starting in September. So just sign up for your group. We need to sort of know how many more books to order. Uh, and then we're going to, uh, my group, which was meeting at Brian and Jill Art's house, is going to shift locations. And so we're going to be meeting here at the church. And our goal at, in doing that is to really open it up. I know we have a lot of families uh, with small kids or kids, and the youth group meets here Wednesday night. And so we want to have... Those, especially with kids, anybody can come uh, that's not in another small group, to come here and we'll have 
a group for the adults for discipleship. The youth will be doing some discipleship. And then Ashley, our children's director, is going to have some stuff for our children to do as well. Now, this group is going to meet. We're going to try to keep it uh, really on time for the kids from 6.30 to 8. So I hope that's, so if you have kids, hopefully that's not too long. So we're going to try to end at 8 for those families. So, okay, so that's the, the commercial, but it's really the heart of the church, you know, discipleship, our, our vision, our mission is equipping people to be world changers, and so that's what discipleship is, and so I would encourage you, consider that, pray about that, or just do it, you know, it's commanded, go make, I mean, we don't, you know, sometimes we pray, what, God, what's your will? God's will is that you be discipled, and that you disciple others, I, I can assure you of that, and so sign up, become part of uh, join one of our small groups in that process. Okay? Now to Romans. Uh, let me ask you another question. You don't have to answer this one. This is more of a contemplative question. Uh, what makes you happy? Think about that for a second. When am I happy? And by happy, I mean what gives you feelings? It, it, happiness is a feeling of delight or gladness or joy, or even uh, contentment. You know, when I'm happiest, I think I'm, I'm most content. Inner satisfaction. Recently, uh, my daughter informed me that I was going to be a grandpa. Yay! And that made me very happy, right? There are many things that can make us happy. And the Bible is filled with verses. Uh, you might not be aware of this, but the Bible is filled with verses related to our happiness. We think the Bible is just about, this is what you need to do. This is what you need to obey. But it's filled with verses about our happiness. Calling, even commanding. The Bible commands us to delight in the Lord, to rejoice always, to be glad, to be cheerful. All of this sort of comes under this heading of happiness. Now sometimes Christians aren't comfortable Maybe you're squirming a little bit with that idea of happiness. Uh, wait a minute. It's okay. It's okay. I have to say, uh, okay, I'm seeking to be joyful because that's a religious word. But happy is more secular, right? But the Bible doesn't make any distinction between these words. They're synonymous. In fact, the English dictionary doesn't make any distinction. The, the definition of happy in dictionary.com is to be delighted, to be pleased, to be glad, characterized by feelings of pleasure, contentment, and joy. I think the reason we Christians sometimes think happiness is not a positive goal to seek after is because we've defined happiness as found in the things of this world. Our problem is, when we think of happiness, we think of everything the world says uh, it takes to be happy or what you need to do to be happy. Our problem is that, that we seek even our happiness in the wrong way, in the wrong places, in material things, in selfish things, in, in sex, and in wealth, and power, and fame, and physical pleasure. But the happiness the Bible promotes is not found in these things. Instead, it's found in God, in your relationship with God. So that's why, I mean, as, we're, as Chad is, is singing and we're thinking about, are you going to be happy in heaven? Are you going to be happy with Jesus? 
when all of those other things of this world I just mentioned are gone. David in Psalm 1611 wrote, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You think God isn't concerned with our happiness? It's in the presence of God that we find our fullness of joy. That we find pleasures forevermore. It's in relationship with God that we find our lasting, true happiness. A.W. Tozer said, Christians ought to be the happiest people in the wide world. And today, as we continue our study in the book of Romans, I want us to see the happiness that God offers. Not not all of it. We're just going to be dealing with a couple verses. Just giving you a, a taste. I want us to experience in a greater way the happiness that God provides to those that He justifies. That's the word we've been talking about a lot. We'll talk about it more today. To those He counts righteous and invites into relationship with Him. To those He credits righteousness to your account. But before we get to our passage, for uh, our passage Romans 4, 6-8, through 8, if you have a Bible and you want to open it there, we need to put it in context first. We need to review the first five verses of Romans 4. This is what we looked at two weeks ago, last week, Missions Conference. That was great. Paul in Romans, you know, even in 3 and then moving into 4, is arguing that justification, uh, being counted righteous, uh, how we're saved, is by God's grace, through faith, through faith in Jesus Christ, apart from works of the law. And in Rome, because there were people that still thought and continue to think, and this is prevalent thought today, that you have to earn God's blessings, God's favor, God's grace. And in Romans 5, 1, 4, excuse me, 4, 1 through 5, Paul presents the, the case of Abraham. Abraham was chosen by God to be the patriarch, uh, the father, so to speak, of the Jews. He was renowned, uh, famous for his obedience to God. The rabbis of Paul's day taught that Abraham was justified, saved through his righteous deeds, through his obedience to God, especially his willingness in that one instance, uh, Genesis chapter 25, to sacrifice, his willingness to sacrifice his own son because God had commanded it. But Paul argues that Abraham was not justified by his works of obedience, but instead by faith, by faith, apart from works. He quotes Genesis 15.6, and in Romans 4.3 he says, For what does the Scripture say? Genesis 15.6 says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Paul's saying, look, the Scripture teaches that Abraham, our father, our hero, an example of obedience to to all, was counted righteous, not because he uh, was willing to sacrifice Isaac. He was justified not by works, but by faith, by believing in the promises of God. Therefore, justification, by extension, for all, is by faith apart from works. So that's what we saw two weeks ago. Now today, Romans 4, 6-8, through 8, Paul shifts away from Abraham for just for a second. He's going to come back in verse 9. But he briefly focuses on the words of another hero of the Jewish people, King David. 
Paul's still showing that justification is by faith apart from works. He showed that Abraham, the father of the Jews, was justified by faith. And now he shows that David, the king of the Jews, the one promised that uh, your descendants would always reign on the throne. What does David say about justification? Does it come through obedience to the law, or does it come through those who have faith? So that's the context of our passage for today. Paul's quoting David to show that justification comes by God's grace through faith apart from works. But as we'll see, David also uh, speaks of the happiness that's found in our justification. That's the title of this message, Happy Are the Justified. So let's begin by just reading uh, our our verses for the day. And I'm going to back up to verse 5 to give it context. So follow along. Uh, This is Romans 4, 5 through 8. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessings of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. So Paul, in verse 5, describes the one who's justified. He doesn't, and he cannot work for his righteousness because he's ungodly. But he believes, and and therefore his faith is counted as righteousness. He's justified by faith. And then in verse 6, Paul says, just as David also speaks, so what David says is connected to what Paul's just said. David's going to verify that justification comes to the ungodly by faith apart from works. And you might be thinking, okay, but, but what does that have to do with our happiness? David didn't say anything about being happy. Well, in verse 6, Paul uses a word he hasn't used before when talking about justification. What's the word? He says, David, speaking of the blessings, this word blessings, of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. And it's this word blessings or, or blessed that we'll find in the next two verses that reveals the happiness God provides to those he justifies. So, so let's, look at, let's look at, for a moment, the, the meaning of this word blessed. The word blessed is the Greek word makarios. Not makarena, but makarios. Okay, sorry. And it literally means to be fortunate or happy. In Psalm 32, David uses the Hebrew word ezer, which also means to be fortunate or happy. Paul's quoting, he's using the right word. Really, those, those two words, fortunate and, and happy, uh, really they go together. In this, they come together in this word blessed. Because together, because it's when we understand, it's when we understand just how fortunate we are that we experience feelings of happiness, right? As I look out at our congregation and I realize how fortunate I am to be a pastor, the pastor of such an awesome group of people, I, I feel happiness, right? I'm fortunate to be here, and and that makes me happy. Now, one of the things we need to understand about this word blessed 
One of the things we need to understand about biblical happiness is that it's not based on our external, our earthly, our temporal circumstances. What is unique about biblical happiness as opposed to what the world calls happiness is that it can be experienced even in the most dire circumstances. This is mostly clear. This is clearly seen. Mostly, most clearly seen? Yeah, I'm saying that right. In Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Maybe you guys, you've read the sermon and you know blessed, blessed, blessed. He begins with all these blessednesses. And there are several examples we could use from what Jesus says. But maybe the best is Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12, where Jesus says, blessed, and this is really, if you read into that, happy, fortunate, Happy, fortunate are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed, happy, fortunate are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. Unbelievable. Happy are those who experience persecution for righteousness' sake. Happy are those who are reviled and persecuted falsely accused because of Jesus. Rejoice and be glad. Why? Because their fortune is amazing. Because they are so fortunate. Because their persecution is only temporary. But they will receive the eternal kingdom of heaven. They, during uh, temporal persecution, can rejoice in the eternal reward that's to come. If you were uh, with us on Friday night, many of you were, uh, for the movie, we saw a movie here, The Insanity of God, you heard this repeatedly. You saw it. How people who were being persecuted, how they were being reviled for being followers of Jesus Christ, how they, during their persecution, experienced happiness, contentment, satisfaction, joy, how they rejoiced and delighted and were glad Not in their terrible circumstances, but in their God and His promises. One story that wasn't in the movie, but it's in the book. There's a book as well called The Insanity of God. was about a man named Pastor Chang. Now, I don't have time for his full story, but but needless to say, I mean, he, he just experienced persecution after persecution, imprisoned three times. The communist, Chinese communist government was just on him over and over beatings, torment, torture. And David Ripkin, he's, so this is, this is, he's not in prison at this time, and David Ripkin is meeting him. And he wrote these words about this man, Pastor Chang. He said, by any standard, Pastor Chang had lived a hard life. He had nothing tangible to show for all of his labor. He wasn't now a, a famous pastor in China with, all, with wealth. Even so, He seemed more content, more filled with the spirit of peace, and more aware of the joy of living than anyone I had ever met. Pastor Chang, just one example of those who understand, even during persecution, just how fortunate they are to be a child of God. And instead of bitterness and hate that that kind of wells up when when you have this difficult life, You can experience bitterness and hate. Pastor Chang felt contentment and peace and joy and happiness. 
So I hope we have a good understanding of what the Bible means by uh, blessed, by the blessings that are offered. Uh, Yes, it means to be happy and to rejoice and to be glad. But this happiness is not based on our uh, earthly, temporal circumstances. It's based on the understanding of just how fortunate we are to be children of God. It's based on who God is. It's based on His promises, His eternal promises. So that even if your circumstances are difficult, you can be happy and secure and content in the knowledge that God is in control. That God is all-powerful. That God is at work for your good. And so in Romans 4, 6-8, through finally getting to our passage now, let's see how our justification relates to our blessings, to our happiness. And Paul begins by telling us the requirement for God's blessing. The blessings, the happiness that God gives is not available to everyone. Well, maybe it's available, but everyone doesn't receive it. There are requirements. There's a prerequisite. That's what Paul says in Romans 4.6. Just as David speaks of the blessings of the one to whom God counts righteous, uh, righteousness apart from works. The blessings that David will speak of in verses 7 and 8, we'll get to in a second, these blessings are only for those who, who God counts righteous apart from works. The blessings of God come to, to those who, who don't work for them but only to those that God, by His grace, counts or or credits them with righteousness. So the requirement for receiving the, the, the blessings of God is you must be counted righteous by God. You must be justified by faith apart from works. That's the context of this whole thing. That's what we saw in verse 5. So many people in so many religions believe that the blessings of God come to those who work for them and earn them by their own righteousness. Who, uh, to those who have earned some righteousness by doing righteous things. David says God's blessings, specifically the blessings that, that follow in verses 7 and 8, are apart from works. And what I want us to see is just how blessed, how fortunate we are, and how happy we should be We don't have to earn our own righteousness to receive the blessings of God. That there's not like this this checklist you have to do. There's not this this, uh, obstacle course you have to run in order to be blessed by God. Because first of all, we couldn't do it. We can't work for our righteousness. If that's not clear to you, if you've been with us through uh, our study of Romans, and that at least is not clear to you, then you need to, uh, I don't know, I don't want to be rude, but you need to wake up. Because as Paul has already said, as we mentioned, firstly, there is no one righteous. We're all under sin. No one is righteous, not one. But even if it were possible, let's assume uh, some people could do it. it. Even if it were possible to earn our own righteousness, if it were possible, as so many religions teach, to work for our salvation how could we truly ever be happy? How could we ever be secure and content and satisfied with our relationship with God? We would always be wondering, have I done enough? 
Do my good works, have they covered up? Because we've all sinned. Nobody's going to get away from that. But, but have I done enough good works to make up for my sin? Have I truly understood the instruction manual? Have I missed something important? What more does God require so that I can avoid hell and, and go to heaven? This was my wife, Christina's experience growing up. Her family was religious and went to church every Sunday. But she was never sure if her life measured up. She was never sure if she was actually doing enough to please God. She remembers writing on a card in Sunday school, uh, I love God. I hope He loves me. Kind of sad, right? There was no assurance Just fear because she didn't know if she had done enough so that God would love her. She thought God's love was tied to her ability to be good. But when she was 15, she truly heard the gospel for the first time. She was overjoyed to know that God's love for her was not based on her ability to be good. But instead it was based on what Christ had done for her. She remembers being so excited that she could know for sure that God loved her. Trying to earn our own righteousness, trying to be good enough, does not lead to blessings, does not lead to happiness. Instead, it leads to legalism, it leads to fear, it leads to misery, it leads to uncertainty, it leads to doubt. But if our justification if our salvation is by, gra- by the grace of God, given to those who have faith, then we have assurance. We have contentment and satisfaction and happiness in our relationship with God. Because our salvation is not of our own doing. It's God who's uh, provided it for us. And our faith is not in ourselves, but in the almighty, all-powerful God to count us righteous. So we've seen, I hope, the requirement to receive God's blessing, and I hope you've received that. I hope you've put your faith in Christ alone, and you have that assurance. You have that happiness, that joy that comes by being in relationship with God, by entering into relationship with Him. And so now we come to the words David spoke about those who are justified by faith, apart from works, and they're amazing words. Uh, these should make, uh, I want to start seeing some smiles on our faces here. I know that's hard to ask. At uh, No, it's not early. Come on. So this is, uh, David gives the description of God's blessing. In Romans 4, 7 and 8, Paul quotes David, and he quotes him, you know, you can go look at Psalm 31, verses 1 and 2. That's what he's quoting. It's pretty much the same. In this psalm, David used the device common in Hebrew poetry. So the psalms are poetry. And that device is called parallelism. Parallelism is when you state the same uh, principle in similar ways, one right after another, several times. This is done for emphasis, and this is done to create uh, sort of this fuller meaning. Right? You could just say the one, he could just have said the first thing, but then he adds to it, and he adds to it, and you get just a, a bigger picture of this blessing, I think, that we're going to see. Now, in, the case of Dave, in this case, David states in three similar ways how God blesses those that he counts righteous apart from works. And all three 
the, the theme here deals with how God deals with uh, the sin of those he justifies. What does God do with our sin? How, if he's going to justify us, if he's going to, uh, one way to say it, declare us righteous, count us righteous, how can he do that? David understood this well. If you know David, he knew he was a sinner. Read Psalm 51. Some people say this Psalm 32, 51 are connected in, in many ways. David had committed adultery, he had committed murder, and he had been forgiven. He experienced the blessings that he writes about. And that's the first, uh, the first blessing. Our sins are forgiven. Verse 7 begins, Blessed, happy, fortunate are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven. For those who God counts righteous, that's the context, for the ungodly who do not work for it, uh, yet believe, for those who are justified by faith apart from works, God forgives their lawless deeds. No one will be counted righteous by keeping the law because no one can do it. No one obeys the law. Remember Romans 3.10, none is righteous, no, not one. Everyone breaks the law, both the Mosaic law and, and remember we talked about it a number of weeks ago, the law written on our, consci- our hearts. Our, our, everyone violates the law of their own conscience. Everybody does what they... Wrong- Everybody does uh, disobeys what they know to be right in their own heart. You and I commit lawless. That word lawless also means wicked, unrighteous deeds. And therefore we deserve, as Paul has said earlier, early on, Romans 1.18, we deserve nothing but the wrath of God. But there's good news of great joy for those who by God's grace have been counted righteous. David says, you are fortunate, therefore be happy and rejoice because you will not get what you deserve. You will instead receive the mercy of God. Why? Because your lawless deeds have been forgiven. That word forgiven literally means uh, sent away. Your sins are sent away. This is pictured in the Old Testament when the high priest symbolically laid the sins of, of the, the people, the Jewish people, on a goat, you know, and sends the goat away, the, the scapegoat. That's where the, uh, the, 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 the phrase comes from. The scapegoat, he sends him away into the wilderness. In the same way, when we put our faith in God, we are counted righteous and our sins are forgiven. They're, they're sent away. David wrote in Psalm 103.12, As far as the east is from the west, so far does, the, does he remove our transgressions from us. So, so no matter what earthly, temporal, dire circumstance you're facing, if you've been counted righteous by God, then understand just how fortunate you are. And be happy. For God has removed your transgressions. He forgives your lawless deeds. And then David expands on this blessing. He says, our sins are covered. Verse 7 continues. And, and, and there's a, an implied. He said, blessed and, so the blessed is there. And blessed, happy are those whose sins are covered. For those who God counts righteous, uh, for those that God credits righteousness to your account, those who are justified by faith apart from works, He also covers, Uh, that word also means conceals their sin. 
It's, a, it's as if God no longer sees our sin. I'm not saying that God doesn't know that we've sinned. He obviously does. But, but He chooses to cover over our sin. In Isaiah 43.25, God says of Himself, He says, I am He who blots out your transgressions for My sake, and I will not remember your sins. I'm not exactly sure how God, who is omniscient, all-knowing, knows all things, will not remember my sins. But, but, but that really makes me happy, knowing that he said that. He said that about himself. That God will blot out, that he will cover my transgressions. He in some way, known only to him, remembers my sins no more. Think about all, all, of, all of the sins. I mean, we're going to go down into the gutter for a second here, but we'll come back out. Think about the sins you've committed during your life. Maybe there's some big ones that just pop out. Maybe it's a, just a, this, this one that plagues you. Think about the evil thoughts and deeds that you've thought and done. Think about maybe your most recent fall, that failure to obey God. I knew I was supposed to do this, but I, but I didn't do it. I did this instead. Think about those you've sinned against and the pain and the suffering you've caused others. Think about the times you've rejected God, you've rejected His will, and replaced Him, replaced what He wants with something or, or someone else. I'd rather be with this person than obey God. The times you've fallen short of God's glory when you've not lived for Him, but you're living for your own purposes. You've done your own thing, sought your own personal glory. Now that's depressing thoughts. That's not happy thoughts. But know that for those that God has justified, all of that that you've thought about, all of that that you have done, He sent all of your sins away. And not only does He send them away, but then He digs a hole and He puts them in and He covers it up. Oh, how blessed, how fortunate we are. And therefore, no matter what struggles we're facing, no matter what pain we have in this life, we can be happy knowing that our sins are covered. And finally, David adds, we are blessed because our sins are not counted. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. I mean, sin is our problem, people. And in these three ways, he's saying, I'm dealing with your problem. Blessed, you're blessed because I'm dealing with your problem. Those who God counts righteous, he, he, he does not count. So those that God counts righteous, he does not count, same Greek word, he does not count his sin. God does not credit sin to your account. When you are justified by God's grace through faith, two things take place uh, simultaneously. We're credited with God's righteousness God deposits righteousness into our, His righteousness into our account. And at the same time, our sins are forgiven. They're sent away. They're covered. And they're not counted. They're not credited to our account any longer. Both being counted righteous and not counting our sin as unrighteousness are essential if we're going to go into relationship with God. We must get... God's righteousness, and we must get rid of our own unrighteousness. And justification involves both the removal of sin and the receiving 
of God's righteousness. This is such good, good news. This is the gospel. That our sins are forgiven, covered, not counted. Think back. If you've been with us, if you were with us in Romans chapter 1, 18 through 3.20, think back of the depravity of humanity. God giving them over to terrible things because they've rejected God and replaced Him with something new. Think of the sin and the wickedness that we saw, we continue to see in our world, we continue to have in our lives, and know how fortunate you are. That you have, by God's grace through faith, been counted righteous. That the Lord will not count your sins. And therefore, you will not experience the wrath of God that you deserve. But instead, you'll enter into relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Where there's fullness of joy. Where there's pleasures forevermore. What an amazing blessing. What a great cause Reason for happiness, for rejoicing, for celebration. And this leads us uh, perfectly to, to the communion table this morning. For, uh, for communion is the celebration of God's blessing. You see, the way that God has provided... So we've talked about all the blessings that we get. Uh, this forgiveness, our sins taken away. We're counted righteous and our, our, our sins are no longer counted But the way that God provides for all of this righteousness, apart from the works of the law, the way God is forgiven and covered, and the way that God does not count our sin against us, is pictured, is remembered through what we celebrate whenever we partake of the communion table. Justification and forgiveness comes through the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. Through the broken body and the spilt blood of Christ. The reason for our blessings, the reason that our sins are forgiven and covered and not counted is because Jesus on the cross gave His life as a sacrificial substitute. He died in our place. He paid the penalty. He took on the the wrath of God that we deserved. He took it on Himself. In in 2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul writes, For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. This describes our greatest blessing. This is the reason, the source of our greatest happiness. This is why Christians should be the happiest people in all the world. Because on the cross, God made sinless Jesus to be sin. He took on our sin so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. That our sins might not be counted against us and we might be counted righteous. And so as we come to the communion table this morning, I want us to come knowing just how fortunate we are. How blessed we are. I want us to come with joy in our hearts. I want us to come in in celebration of the the wonders, the the wonderful things that Christ has done for you. I want us to come with hearts that that with a renewed passion even to pursue our happiness, our delight, our joy, our pleasure in in our relationship with the Lord. To reject the things of this world. So many uh, uh, try to fake us out with false happiness. And pursue our joy, our happiness in the Lord. Ushers, would you come forward and and just be seated here as I pray.
Lord God, I thank you for this great blessings you've given us, that you've counted us righteous and that you don't count our sins against us, Lord. That through Christ, we can be justified. Lord, I pray that, that we as a people would on a daily basis. Lord, we put our faith in you and I pray we would continue to trust in you for all things. That we would continue to come to you for our satisfaction, our contentment, our peace, our joy, our happiness. That you would be our source. In Christ's name. Amen. Before uh, passing the elements, I'd just like to say we, we come to the table this morning and every morning in celebration and remembrance of what Christ has done for us. At Bridges, uh, we believe... You know, this isn't, you don't have to be a member of this church to to join us in communion. We believe that communion is for all who've put their faith in Jesus Christ. All who've been counted righteous and whose sins are, are no longer counted against them. And so as we pass the bread and the cup, if, if you've never put your faith in Christ, if you're still considering, if you're thinking, if you're seeking, then, then just let the elements pass you by. That's not a problem. But for those of us who have been counted righteous, who've trusted in Christ, let's celebrate His finished work together as the elements are passed with this, uh, this great song.